0: Between now and Easter, we're in a series called The Road to Easter. We're looking at some of the key moments uh, in Jesus' final week uh, of His life and His ministry. And if you miss any of the sermons, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. Of course, it's always better to be here in person, but sometimes uh, you have to skip. By the way, we have a Thursday night service, sometimes when Sunday morning doesn't work. Uh, you can just attend Thursday night. In fact, the first time we preach and sing is on Thursday night at our building 3300 Spenarn Road, so you can, you can go there. But if you uh, miss and you need to catch up online, clearwater.church. Today we're talking about the betrayal of Jesus by one of the 12 apostles, Judas Iscariot. It is a, uh, a, a tragic story and a story with a great warning to all of us. That we can actually, you know, hang out with Jesus, see great mighty things be done, and yet miss the boat entirely, not actually benefit from what he has done. Judas Iscariot. We don't know much about Judas Iscariot. The word Iscariot, uh, most scholars believe, uh, just talks about where he's from, the town of Kiriath, which is in the south in Judah. Uh, And if that's the case, that means that of the twelve apostles, he's the only one not from Galilee. So, eleven of the twelve are from Galilee, that region up north of Israel, and then Judas would be down from the southeast in this town called Kirioth. and that might be why he is uh, usually referred to by the rest of the disciples as Iscariot. You know, they're kind of reminding him, (laughs) you're from down south, man. Judas Iscariot, we don't know much about him. He uh, was the treasurer of the group. He kept the common purse, which meant he either had some gifting in money management or an interest, (laughs) maybe both. Uh, We also learn, one of the few details we know about him is that he was stealing from the treasury. Uh, So he was keeping all the money for Jesus and the, the apostles, and John tells us that he was dipping in to the purse for himself. So, he's a thief. Crazy. He's one of the apostles. Now, Jesus had invited him to come follow him. Jesus had called him, come be my disciple. And Judas accepted. So, there was something about following Jesus that attracted Judas. Uh, and b- but by the end of the story, after three years of hanging out with Jesus, and we're talking like 24-7, he's hanging out with Jesus. He's hearing Jesus' teaching. He has a a front row seat to Jesus' miracles, many undeniable miracles. There's no way Judas Judas doubted that Jesus had the power of God uh, at work in his life. I mean, he saw the calming of the storm. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw uh, uh, 5,000 fed from just a few fishes and a few loaves. He saw the raising of Lazarus from the dead, uh, the blind man who, who could see, and the lame who were raised to walk. I mean, he he had a front row seat to many... In fact, do you know that Judas himself might have performed miracles because Jesus sent the apostles out two by two during his lifetime, said, I give you authority over the demonic and you can perform miracles. And they, they, were, they came back to Jesus, the apostles, and were like, you can't believe... What, what happened? You can't believe what God did through us. And Jesus is like, yeah, I can. <laughs> so, Judas might himself have been used by God to do some mighty work. And yet, here he is at the end of his uh, time with Jesus, and he's, he chooses to betray Jesus, the Son of God. How is that possible? Well, the story, I, I'm going to start it with the religious leaders of Israel uh, deciding that they were going to arrest and kill Jesus. So Jesus starts off as a rabbi, and, um, but his popularity and his fame is increasing dramatically, and the religious leaders are become very concerned. Uh, first off, they don't like the fact that Jesus is the one who's super popular now. They're the religious leaders, and now they're being eclipsed. Uh, But also, they are concerned that the people are so excited about Jesus that they might kind of crown Him the Messiah, rebel against Rome, and then Rome, and the subtext is that the religious leaders believed that the true power in Israel was Rome. Shows you just how how God-fearing they really were. They believed Rome was the power, and so they figured Rome is going to come down on us, and smash us, and we, as a nation, will suffer, and in particular, we, the current leaders of Israel, the Ro- Rome is going to remove our position, and they're going to say, look, you allowed this rebellion, uh, under your watch, you're out. Uh, and so they, they decided, we've got to do away with Jesus, and Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, sort of put it sanctimoniously, uh, it is better for one man to die than for the whole nation to suffer. So here's how, uh, this is, by the way, this story is recorded in all four Gospels, but here's how Matthew puts it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They were afraid that if they arrested Jesus out in the in the open during the day publicly that the crowds would riot because Jesus was super popular and so they said we got to we got to do it by stealth and let's not do it during the feast of passover because thousands and th- tens of thousands of people uh, were in Jerusalem and uh, they were con- very concerned about an uprising during that time well Judas must have known That uh, Jesus was out of favor with the religious leaders and that they were trying to get their hands on him quietly. And he decides to take uh, an op to, to just seize this opportunity and turn it into some cold hard cash. So Judas goes to the religious leaders and asks the question, How much will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you quietly? Uh, Now, the Bible tells us that the religious leaders are super excited that Judas has come to them. You're solving a problem for us. And they offer him 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a slave. So a sizable amount of money. And Judas agrees to betray Jesus. We read in verse 14, Then one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, right, he went to them, they didn't even approach him, and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. So, in the final days of Jesus' life, while Jesus' mind is all about going to the cross, laying down his life to serve us, Judas... What's on his mind is, how can I betray Jesus? What's going to be the best opportunity? The hearts are in two totally different places. Now, I just want to ask, how? How could a guy who walked with Jesus and had a front row seat to his teaching and his miracles and Jesus' perfect life, right? Jesus was modeling a life of connection with God. He had every opportunity possible if anybody says to you I didn't have enough evidence right I I wasn't given the privileges and that's why I don't believe in Jesus no 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 Judas is a testimony that evidence is not the only reason or lack of evidence for unbelief right how could a guy who had all those spiritual privileges betray the son of man Now, I've heard there are lots of theories, because the Bible does not answer this question overtly. Uh, Some, they say, I've heard this, well, Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand. Judas Judas was frustrated that Jesus was not rising up against the Romans, asserting his authority, because, you know, hey, Judas knew Jesus has the power, and if he wants to, he can kick out these Romans, and he can he can establish his kingdom on earth. He's going about it too slowly. I'm going to force his hand by kind of putting him in a position where he has to, uh, he has to display his real power. I don't I think that's highly speculative. I don't I don't buy that. that, that those are people trying to kind of let Judas off the hook. Um, others have said, well, Judas's pride was pricked because two of the four gospels place, Judas going to the chief priests and saying, how much will you pay me? Immediately following, Jesus rebuking Judas uh, for questioning the wisdom of Mary when she poured the expensive perfume, the nard, over Jesus' head, and it was worth an an entire year's wages. And uh, John tells us that Judas was kind of the spokesman for the group who said, why didn't we sell this? And give the money to the poor. I mean, what a waste! And Jesus rebuked uh, Judas and said, "What she's done. Leave her alone. What she's done is a beautiful thing. In fact, every, what she's done will be talked about wherever the gospel is preached. In fact, just a few weeks ago, Pastor James preached on that uh, beautiful um, act by Mary on Jesus. So some say, well, uh, Judas's pride was so pricked by the rebuke that in his anger and his hurt pride, he Decided. Fine, I'm going to betray you. Meh. Maybe that had something to do with the timing of it all. I think there's a simpler explanation. By the way, John's, John's the one who said uh, actually Judas was not concerned about the poor. He just wanted that m- the money from the Nard in the treasury so he could steal from it. I think there's a simpler, uh, so, uh, simpler explanation. Here it is. So profound. Judas believed he would gain more from 30 pieces of silver than he would from his relationship with Jesus. Any way you cut it, that's what's happening. I will benefit more from 30 pieces of silver than from anything Jesus has to offer me. So I'll, I'll betray him for the 30 pieces of silver. Do you, do you know anybody like that? I don't care about what Jesus offers. I don't need what Jesus offers. 30 pieces of silver, that'll buy me a slave. Woo! I wouldn't have to cook. I wouldn't have to clean. I could hire that slave out and, and have a second income. Do you know people who would say, choose Jesus and, and what he offers? Or, or a personal slave? Oh, I'll take a personal slave. I think there are a lot of people like that could that be said of you? Judas loved this world, and Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus offers us the spiritual world, the the future world. And I think Judas... He had no appetite for the kingdom of God. He wanted the kingdom of this world. In fact, I suspect, I don't think it's it's speculative, because the Bible doesn't say this, but I think it is not much of a stretch to say that uh, it, it certainly makes sense to me that Judas started following Jesus thinking, this guy could be the Messiah, and if he's the Messiah, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth, and I'm on the inside, which means power and riches and fame for me, right? I gain the world if I follow Jesus. And and I'm sure early on he's like, "Oh my goodness, look at these miracles. Jesus is so powerful. This is going to be awesome. I'm on the inside." But then over time, Judas becomes disillusioned because Jesus says things like, "My kingdom is not of this world and and the son of man is going to go suffer and die and 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 I think think Judas eventually got it. Jesus is not going to establish his kingdom on earth. He is not going to deliver what I really want. In fact, he's on the outs with those who have real power. Jesus seems to be going down, and, and what about those who follow him? We're going to go down too. Maybe I should turn state's evidence and try to rescue something out of this last three years I've been following this man. When we love the world, we miss out on what God has for us. That's a clear biblical principle. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. My friend Saji was from India. He worked so hard to make it to the United States. And he gets here and he starts a business and his business is thriving. And he's beginning to, you know, grab a hold of the, uh, of the American life, uh, dream. Uh, but this t- passage just rocked his world. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And he knew, I am chasing after this world, and God is, God is challenging me. And he's saying, do you want this world, or do you want what I offer? And for Saji, uh, the, that decision was to, led him to, uh, to let go of his business. He ended up going to seminary where I met him, started a mission to India. And through, through that mission, thousands of uh, indigenous church planners have been trained, Tens of thousands of churches have been planted. Sabrina and I had uh, the privilege a few years to go over there. Awesome. James chapter 4, 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And, and I know my heart. This world is constantly calling to me. The things of this world are are asking for my attention and allegiance and affection, right? It's a constant tension in our lives. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why was Judas stealing from the common purse? Because he loved... And he served what money could deliver. Money buys you this, this, this world. And that's where his real heart was. And we have to be so careful. It, because when we, when we love this, this world, it, it will put us at odds with what God has for us. Jesus talks about Demos in 2 Timothy 4, 9. Paul says, Timothy, come to me because Demas who loved this world has abandoned me. He started off helping Paul in his mission uh, but then he realized, wait a second, that's costing me and I can't have both the mission and this world and he abandons it. At some point in your Christian life, for me it happened at age 14, that was you know, as a kid I, I put my faith in Jesus and it was at about age 14 I realized wait a second, following Jesus is going to cost me I can't have the popularity, the girls that I want, and also be faithful to Jesus, and I, I felt this massive tension, and I knew I had to make a decision, and I, uh, praise the Lord, He gave me the wisdom to, to drive, you know, plant my flag on the side of all in for Jesus, and I've never regretted that, and I think there are many Christians who just live in that tension, and then you don't thrive spiritually. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I, I find this ch- calling to be so challenging. If then you've been raised with Christ, and if you're a Christian, you have been raised with Christ. You are united with Jesus Christ by faith. There is a spiritual union. Christ has that's what baptism is, right? Buried with Christ in death, raised again to new life. Romans talks about it. that's the picture. Jesus has died. And risen. You're united with Christ by faith. It's a spiritual union. And so, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to a new life. And just like Jesus, because we are united with Him and dwelt with His Spirit, we too shall someday rise from the dead. So, Paul, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where's Jesus right now? He's in heaven at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, King James Version, set your affections on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, right, spiritual union with Christ, you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What's Paul saying? The real you is, the, is not the you that lives on this earth for 70 or 100 years. It's the eternal you who will live for tens and tens and tens of thousands of years with God. And the real you is hidden with Christ because of your spiritual union right now. But when Christ returns, the real you will appear. Live that way. Think of yourself that way. Uh, and this is a, this is a constant, re, we have to constantly choose a new perspective uh, that will then influence our affections, our thoughts, our loves, right? Right? Don't love this world. Well, the story goes on. Um, There is the Last Supper. And during the Last Supper, Jesus lets it known that He is aware He will be be betrayed and that Judas will be His betrayer. And so, here's how we read this. Verse 20 of Matthew 26. When it was evening he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they all looked at Judas and said, Yeah. Actually, it's fascinating. It doesn't say that. Uh, There was no suspicion on the part of the other eleven that Judas would betray them, which just tells you how great of a hypocrite he was, how well he hid his true Feelings, his true thinking. They were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? I mean, they're all questioning themselves. Am I going to somehow betray you? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it's written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, let me sit on that for a second. Some people get hung up with, well, if God already knows what I'm going to do, then I can't have free will, and how can I be held accountable by God for what I do? Philosophical questions that are meaningless. God knew what Judas was going to do, and God held Judas accountable. You could even say, because the prophets foretold it. The prophets, like Psalm chapter forty-one, verse nine. Even my friend has betrayed me, who I ate food with, betrays me. The prophets foretold the betrayal of Jesus Christ, and uh, so so Jesus says here, the Son of Man goes as it's written of him. Right? It's been it's been foreordained. It's been predicted. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Judas is still going to be held accountable for his betrayal, for his choice. In fact, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. What a statement. What a statement about just how, uh, how bad it's going to be for Judas on the day of judgment. Oh, the devil made me do it. You heard that one? Well, uh, one of the gospels says, two of the gospels say that the devil, you know, Satan himself directly influenced Judas, in fact, the devil, uh, Satan entered him, one of the Gospels say. Well, the devil made me do it, so I'm not account- accountable. Let me just say this. You are responsible for what you choose to do, period. You are created in the image of God. I am created in the image of God. I have power to make choices to do right or to do wrong. That's part of being in the image of God, and it doesn't, yes, there might be external influences on me, temptation, even addictions, right? Uh, But that doesn't take away my responsibility. So, we, we read, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he'll also provide a way of escape that he may be able to endure, that you may be able to do it there's an off ramp god provides an off ramp for every temptation this is important because we live in a society that wants to excuse us that wants to say you're a victim you do what you do because of the way others have treated you because of the way you grew up right And that's not biblical teaching. Biblical teaching is you have the power because you're created in the image of God to make choices. And that's why God holds you, and God will hold you accountable for your choices. So, don't, let's not give that up. Well, Judas, um, Jesus tells Judas, hey, once Jesus identifies it, Judas is going to portray him. Jesus tells Judas, what you have to do, go and do quickly. And so he gets up and he leaves the meal. He's not he's not there for the rest of, of the meal, and quite a bit still happens. Judas goes to the religious leaders and says, uh, "I have a plan. I know how we can you can get your hands on Jesus quietly. Uh, and and that plan involves grabbing him when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives because he spent. Jesus spent most of his evenings with his uh, apostles there. And um, so so Judas gathers a big crowd. In fact, it's a great crowd, armed with swords and clubs, uh, and they 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 start marching up to grab Jesus. Now, at this time, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, he's wrestling with uh, uh, the will of God and his own will. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done, And he settles. He, he kind of wrestles with that and he settles it with God, not my will, yours be done. If, if it's your will for me to die, I'm willing to do it. And as soon as that is settled, he tells his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, who can't seem to stay awake even though he's been telling them, please stay awake and uh, pray with me. He says, rise, the hour has come. My betrayer is at hand. And uh, while we, uh, we, we read it in verse 14, Forty-seven, Matthew twenty-six. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, "The one I will kiss is the man." sees him! Uh, Garden of Eden doesn't, ha- uh, Garden of Gethsemane doesn't have electric lights, and most likely they were afraid that Jesus would s- try to escape. And so, uh, there's the sign, right? I'm going to go and I'll I'll betray, I'll I'll kiss him, and then you'll know who it is, which Jesus asks Judas, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Uh, What a tragic irony, right? You're kissing me as if you're my friend and follower, but you're my betrayer. And in, in fact, the gospel uses a word of it's like profusive kisses. He he grabs Jesus and just smothers him with kisses to make it you know, like super evident uh, who Jesus is. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hand then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest to cut off his ear. Uh, that's Peter. We talked about that. Jesus heals Malchus's ear, says, put away your sword. Uh, and, and then tells the crowd, every day I was teaching publicly out in the open in, in the temple. You didn't come seize me. Why are you doing this at night? Uh, well, we know why. Because, you know, what they're doing was... And not lawful, and was not just. So Jesus is betrayed, and then we get to chapter 27, a, a shocking end. Uh, Jesus is betrayed, and he, they have some kind of show trials where they trump up charges and they condemn Jesus to die. And then in chapter 27 verse 3 we read then when Jesus or I'm sorry then when Judas his betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned to death he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying I have sinned by betraying innocent blood Wow Here's Judas I have sinned. I'm a sinner. He admits what he's done. I have betrayed innocent blood. He acknowledges that Jesus is innocent. So he has a high view of Jesus and a correct view of himself. But what he does with that leads not to life as God wants. It leads to death, literal death. Because Judas... uh, Wracked with guilt, goes out and he hangs himself. He commits suicide. But what could he have done? That's what's so tragic. What could he have done with the, I am a sinner. I have sinned. I have sinned uh, terribly. Was there hope for him? Could he have been forgiven? Could he have been saved? Could he have been restored? yes, because that is the gospel. He knew Jesus. Jesus even called him friend at the last moment while he's betraying him. He could have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, forgive me. I sinned. Would you forgive me? Would Jesus have forgiven him? Jesus' death upon the cross is sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world. Absolutely, he would have forgiven Judas. And yet, what does Judas do with his sin? He goes, he lets it destroy him, literally, goes and hangs himself. So tragic, so tragic. Now, some people miss out on the gospel because they're not willing to admit their sinners. I think about my buddy Khan in college. Uh, finally, he was finally willing to admit, I think there might be a God. That was a huge step for Khan. And then he said, but Mike, do I have to admit I'm a sinner? And I said, yes. No, I can't do that. I cannot admit that I am a sinner. Bud- he had grown up as a Buddhist, and that just he just couldn't get that. He couldn't be saved because he wasn't willing to admit a sinner. But then there are people who are they are willing to admit, I am a sinner. I have sinned. But they don't go to Jesus with the sin to find forgiveness. Last week, I, I mentioned to you 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Uh, which is um, d- contrasts worldly grief or worldly sorrow with godly grief, or godly sorrow. Godly grief leads to repentance, which leads to life. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Judas is the, the picture, the example of worldly sorrow. I've sinned, I've betrayed an innocent man. In fact, he throws the 30 pieces of silver back into the temple and he goes off and he hangs himself. There's no there's no he finds no forgiveness because he doesn't repent and turn to Jesus and he finds no life, he he finds death. On the other hand, the thief on the cross. And hopefully you and me, we are sinners, but we go to we 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 repent of our sins and we go to Jesus with our sins and we find forgiveness and restoration from the Father and cleansing and life. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. Um, On Wednesday in our uh, Christianity and Culture Forum, uh, Josh, Sean McDowell was being interviewed about this, uh, what is called um, deconstruction. Christians who deconstruct their faith. I was a Christian, but I have, you know, gotten out of it. And now I'm free to go really live life. Uh, And it's all over social media, all these, you know, I used to be a Christian and not anymore. Sean McDowell, an apologist, uh, encounters people a lot. Uh, these kind of people a lot. And he says, I like to ask anytime I meet somebody who was a Christian, they're not a Christian, I always ask them, when you were a Christian, how would you describe, you know, the core experience of being a Christian? He said, I hear a lot. I hear, oh, the worship music, man, I just it moved me. Or The community, I had such deep, great community. Or I loved the social action of the church. We did good in the community. That's what it was about for me. He said, I have never once, not a single time, have I encountered somebody who was a Christian, no longer a Christian, who said, oh, when I was a Christian, it was fundamentally, I knew I was a sinner, I repented of my sins, and, and, and trusted Jesus to forgive me, and I felt reconciled to God, but now I've walked away from that. Never, not a single time. He said, I've never seen a study on this, but it causes, he said, it causes me to wonder, were they ever really Christians? Because what is Christianity? It is fundamentally finding forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you know, go out and preach the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he entrusted the the, the apostles with. You, you call people to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ and find forgiveness. That's the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of Christianity. So, may I say this to you lovingly but, but passionately. If you have not had a moment in your life where you said, I am a sinner... And God is right to judge me. And the wrath of God is right to rest upon me. And I turn to Jesus as my only hope. Jesus, I accept your death on the cross as payment for my sin. Forgive me. And then you have experienced that restored fellowship with God. If you've never done that, you're not a Christian. You can be at church and you can tithe and you can serve in, the, in, in children's ministries and be a great donor. But you cannot be a Christian. You can be an apostle and and live with Jesus for three years and even maybe perform mighty deeds in His name. But you don't take your sin to Jesus Christ and find forgiveness. You're not a Christian. And you're not going to get to heaven, which is what this is all about, right? Eternal life. And so Judas is Judas, will Judas be in heaven? Not according to the Bible. No. Judas wore the, the, wore the title apostle and he's not going to make it into heaven because he didn't deal with his sin the way we have to deal with our sin. So, this is a, this is a tragic story it's a tragic it's a story of somebody who had a front row seat to Jesus Christ and his ministry who was part of the inner circle He was as inner as you can get and he missed it let's not have that happen to any one of us would you bow your heads and close your eyes if you've never repented of your sins right now don't leave here today But to as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. So you just, there are no magical words, you just say, God, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I admit that. You are right to judge me, a sinner, and condemn me. But I repent of my sin. I turn from it, and I turn to you, Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sins. I receive your death on the cross as payment for my sin. God, I want to be reconciled to you. Forgive me. And then come into my life and made my life by your Holy Spirit and help me live differently. I want to live a life that pleases you. You just pray that. The Lord, you know magical words, God sees your heart. He will honor that. You will be forgiven. You will be a Christian. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.